Uh, Jesus, our brains are uh, basically mush sometimes. And God, we, uh, we look at how smart some people are in the world, and, and we look at us in your church, and we're not that. And so we can be intimidated, God. And I pray, Lord, you would take away all of that intimidation and you would let us know that we have everything that we need to be able to know you and to be able to honor you and to be able to serve you and walk with you. We have it all through a living relationship with Jesus Christ. And God, I pray that this time that we have right now would blow our minds and would bless our hearts and would change how we see everything, God, and it would be something um, that sticks with us and the notes maybe would help our, our, our little brains to be able to just maybe meditate on it a little further. But we pray that the renewal and the power comes from our hearts and comes from the Spirit. That Jesus, you would live inside us with power and not, not in weakness, Lord, in power. That on the inside, man, we would be strengthened. So God, we... We put this, we, that's our request, Lord, that you would be faithful to do what your word has said you'll do, which we know you will be, but Lord, prepare our hearts for that. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So open up to Ephesians chapter 6. Today's study in the Bible is called the Bible Belt. You guys know what the Bible Belt is, right? That, that part of the United States where it seems like everybody goes to church Everybody reads their Bible, even though we know that's not true, but it just seems that way. It's the culturally, it's called the Bible Belt. Uh, the, the church had a massive impact in that area of our country. Well, that's not what we're talking about at all today. I just picked it because we're talking about a belt and a Bible, and so I smished the two together, and it sounded cute, so there you go. The Bible Belt. We're in Ephesians 6, 14, but I have a question for you before we read the verse. Do you think you know the truth? Do you think you know the truth? We have such a messed up world and such messed up minds that the truth can sometimes seem incredibly hard to ascertain. Was OJ guilty? <laughs> you guys think you know, right? All right, well, the jury didn't. <laughs> Did we really land on the moon? Okay, so you think you're confident about that, all right. How about... What's going on in Syria and Africa and Iraq? Do we know the truth about those things? I don't know. How about this? What does the government do? I don't know. Takes my money. No. <laughs> I, the, the truth can be so hard. Well, let me illustrate all that we have to go through to try to figure out the truth. This is crazy. When you study logic in college, it teaches us that for any statement or argument about what's true, we have to make sure none of the information or thoughts that we have are what's called fallacies. You ever heard of a fallacy? Okay, so in fallacies, there's, there's a whole bunch of different fallacies, and some of them are like an appeal to prob probability. And that's like, well, it, it would probably be the case, or it might be the case, and if you're using that, like, well, 90% of the times this happens, so that makes it true, that's a fallacy. There's another one, the, the argument from fallacy. If an argument for some conclusion is fallacious, then the conclusion is false. 
You, you might be like, I'm not tracking you at all. I don't have, it's not, this isn't the point, okay? I'm just making an example. There's, a, there's the base rate fallacy, the conjunction fallacy, the mass man fallacy. There's prepositional fallacies. There's quantification fallacies, formal syllogistic fallacies. And if you know what that is, you're smarter than me and probably everyone else in this room. There's informal fallacies. Those were just the formal fallacies. Then there's informal fallacies, and there's probably 50 of those. There's faulty generalizations. And so all these different things that we're talking about, about things that can trick us and things that can keep us from ascertaining the truth, guess where they all came from? Satan. Satan made up every single one of them. He came up with every single one of them. He started them all. People can recognize them, and college courses are designed all about logic and fallacies and all that, but Satan started every single one of them. How do I know that? The Bible says so. He's the father of lies. He's the father of lies. Last week, we saw how Satan is going to attack us, didn't we? We learned about it. And we, we, but if we stay with Jesus and we put on his armor, which is what we're talking about now, he's completely disarmed. He's completely disarmed. He will not be able to hurt us. His lies will be exposed, no matter which ones he uses. And he can get quite creative in how he attacks us. So all of Satan's attacks are lies. And there, there are all these, these fallacies. And he gets us to believe something that's not true. So, this is step number one in being able to stand against all his attacks is what we're going to read here today. What we're going to study here today is step number one. Satan, this father of lies, is coming at us He's throwing hundreds of these fallacies, these lies in at us, and we need the truth to counter his attacks. And here's the great thing, what we're going to learn today, is that you don't have to know how his lies are working. You don't have to know what he's trying to do. Just know that he's lying. That's all you have to know. One big truth, he's lying. And there's a different way that God is going to tell us and what it is, is to put on the belt of truth. The belt of truth. I was going to wear this big belt buckle I have at home today, but it's, it's on like a studded belt, and those are so 1990s. So I didn't wear my studded belt, but it's an awesome belt, belt buckle, and I got it up in Estes Park. There's a belt buckle shop up in Estes. You guys been there? It's all belt buckles. Awesome, and it's great. It's, like, it's a bit this big, and it's got a little dove on it, and it says, Take time for Jesus. I love that belt. That's my favorite belt buckle in the world. So even though I didn't bring it, I had to tell you about it because we're talking about belts, and there you go. So Ephesians 6.14, he says, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. Having girded your waist with truth. These are not just helpful tips Paul is giving us. I want us to see this as this is the impregnable armor of God. This is something that Satan cannot get through. He cannot penetrate. So why is the belt, why is a belt like truth? Why does Paul use this analogy, this illustration of a belt being like truth? Well, number one, it holds all the armor together. I want you to picture one of those Roman uh, centurions. They would have the belt that had like the leather strips going down. You picture what, and it would be there, and then their sword is hanging off it. So, but all their other armor pieces connected onto this belt. 
So everything connects onto it. So it holds all the armor together. It, number two, it prepares for action. So you, they, had, they had those like dresses. The men wore dresses back then, and they were still manly. So you can bring it back if you want, Rich. But dresses are okay. But what they would do, they couldn't work in their dresses. They couldn't run. They couldn't... They, they were, that was the lounging type of fashion, was these, these long toga type things. And so what they would do is they would hike them up in the middle, and they would use their belt to hike them up. And it, what that would do is it would prepare them for action. They could run, they could fight, they could do all these things. So the belt of truth prepares us for action, gets us ready to serve and to move. And from this belt hangs the sword of the Spirit, which we're going to find a little later is also called the Spirit of Truth. And it protects our sensitive areas. So we're going we're gonna to look at some, kind of some of those things. But here's our question. Since we're talking about the belt of truth, the question is, is there truth? Is there truth? Is there absolute truth? Pilate was judging Jesus. He was talking with Jesus. And he said, are you a king then? Trying to find the truth, Right? And Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am the king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I've come into the world, that I should bear witness of the truth. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? What is truth? He's just kind of frustrated, like, what do you mean, Jesus? You're coming to say that you're going to tell everyone what the truth is, but I got a bigger question. I don't even believe that there is truth. I don't believe that there is a truth. And what that is called is called relativism. Have you guys ever heard the term relativism? All right. Very common in our world today. Relativism is a philosophical position that all points of view are equally valid. That's your little blank valid on your notes. All positions of thought are equally valid. And that all truth is relative to the individual. And this is very common today. And you'll hear things when you're in conversations like, well, that's your truth, not mine. You're sharing. You're just like, God has been so good to me. And, and I believe that if you call upon him too, you'll, be, you'll see his goodness. And they say, that's your truth, not mine. Or they'll say, well, it's true for you, but it's not for me. Or you'll just hear, there are no absolute truths. What do you mean? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets the Father. That, that violates relativism. And if we take this a little deeper, we find out that there is something called moral relativism, which is a little bit more critical for our thinking today. And it's the view that all ethical standards, all morality, all positions of right and wrong are culturally based and therefore are subject to a person's individual choice. So they'll say, well, the Aztecs were cannibals, and it wasn't wrong for them because that's what their culture said was okay. And we would say, no, they're wrong. The Bible says don't kill and don't eat people. Specifically says do not eat people. So we have an absolute right and wrong, but they would say, oh, it's not. And it's real fun when you actually get someone that hardcore believes in this because you say, oh, so that's what you believe, huh? You believe that's just totally up to the person what's right and wrong. Okay, I'm going to go over here, and I'm going to come back, and I'm going to punch you in the face. Well, you can't do that. Oh, no, I can. I absolutely can, because for me, it's right. It's okay. 
my, it's relative, right? So for me, I've decided that that's okay. And this gets really, really bad. You can take them down the trail because if they want to go down the trail, the trail ends badly for them. Because it's like, okay, well, who says that rape is wrong? Who says that murder's wrong? Well, just our culture. So when you get down to it, they don't want to believe that anything is really wrong. They don't want to believe that any, there's any standards at all. They think we can all decide what's right for ourselves. You decide what's right for you, and I'll decide what's right for me. Moral relativism says it's true for me if I believe it. And it's a worldview that's out there today. In fact, studies indicate that 75% of all American college professors currently teach there is no such thing as right and wrong. And you wonder why college campuses are crazy with sin, are just wild with iniquity and unrighteousness. You guys are like, yeah, because their teachers are telling them nothing is wrong and nothing is right. And it gets this, this worldview, this relativism, gets into the church sometimes even. Why do you do or don't do or believe or don't believe? Why is that? Is it because it's the truth or it's because you want to? You have decided this is right. Because I'm telling you guys today that are here, we did not decide what's right and wrong. We are reading it from a book. And we'll get into why that matters later. So what's really funny with the, with the all truth is relative, that they'll say all truth is relative. Here's how you disprove that. If all truth is relative, then the statement all truth is relative would be absolutely true. And if it were absolutely true, then all things are not relative, are relative. And the statement that all things are relative is false. So it's easy to get them to understand that they, a, a moral relativist, is disproving their own point by saying, I believe in it. By just the fact they say, I believe in, they're saying something is absolutely true. It doesn't work. Or they say, there's no absolute truths. So then you say, well, the statement, there are no absolute truths, is an absolute statement, which is supposed to be true. Therefore, it is an absolute truth, and there are no absolute truths is false. It's fun to take them on this, on this road. So relativism cannot be true. It cannot be true. Pilate was mistaken. But really, what this is, is it's a get-out-of-jail-free card for your brain. Instead of thinking about what right and wrong is, which is why God gave you a brain and a conscience, they decide, I'm not, I don't want to think about it because then I feel convicted that I'm not doing the right thing. And so I'm going to create a worldview where I, have to, I get to stop thinking and I get to stop considering what's actually right and what's actually wrong. So here's the question for you guys here at White Flag. What is truth? The Bible. That's the answer. The Bible. Jesus said in John 17, 17, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Jesus said, God's word is is truth. A skeptic might challenge us at this point and say, of course you push the Bible as truth. That's your main product in the church. You sell Bibles, right? Actually, no, we give them away for free. But I see your point, you know? And, and there's many smart people who don't think the Bible is truth. So obviously, sheer intelligence 
is not the key to understanding the Bible. It has to be something different. It has to be something else. But let me show you how we know that it's truth. In, in John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32, Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. So he says there that the sense of freedom in your soul is the way to gauge whether the Bible is true or not. This is how we know that the Bible is true, is that we are free. Indeed, actually free. We're free from the horrible compulsion that we have to earn God's approval. Have you ever thought about that? You don't have to make God any happier than he is because he loves you without measure right now where you're at. And that freedom is what Jesus would call here, you'll know the truth and it will make you free. It's such an amazing freedom to know that you don't have to please God by working harder, by doing better, earning God's approval. You'll be free from the fear that your eternal destiny is hell. You can have absolute confidence that you are going to heaven. Why? Because of what Jesus did. Well, how do you know you're going to heaven? Because I believe him. I believe in him. I believe in what he did, that it was for me. And so I have total freedom when it comes to death and going to hell. I'm free. Free from my grip of slavery to our pride. That freedom of just thinking, I have to, I have to be the best. I have to be the best at what I'm doing. Totally free from it. We can say, I am who I am and I'm pretty lame. But I'm free from having to be something that I'm not. In other words, the results in your life will demonstrate the truth of the Word of God. People say, how do you know the Bible is true? Because I've seen its power work in my life, in my life, and in the lives of those people I know have been changed. That's how we know. That's how we know. So why did God choose the Bible? Why did he make it this? Why didn't he make a cosmic movie? Why didn't he make it anything else? Why didn't he make it a, an angel that talked all, the, all his words to us? Why did he make it a written word? Well, number one is that God has decided it. He's decided to give a gift to us of a written word. And when he decides something, it's, it's pretty amazing. In Isaiah 14, 27, it says, For the Lord of hosts has purposed, and who will annul it? His hand has stretched out, and who will turn it back? If he decides to make it the Bible, then it's going to be the Bible. If this is how he wants his power to be unleashed in your life, this is how it's going to work. And it is. That is how he has decided it. No one's going to tell him not to. He's decided to write it down for all the people in the world to be able to hear and read. He's decided to explain what the truth is to everybody. Well, why does it have to be written down? And this is, a, if you're on the college campuses today, this is a, a, an actual attack on the Bible. Well, why did God have to write down his word? Well, let me illustrate that for you. Let's say you worked really hard to get a degree from Harvard. Really hard. I mean, you, you took all the tests and you stayed up all those late nights. 
And you, you worked and worked and worked, and the time for your graduation comes, and you're walking down the aisle, and the president is handing out the, the diplomas to everybody, and they call your name, and you walk up with such pride, and they pat you on the back and say, you did a great job, but we're not going to give you a diploma. Just take our word for it. You did great. And when your jobs you're applying at in the future want to know the truth of who you are, just tell them, we said it was okay. We said you graduated. And you're going to be like, um, no thank you, I'll take the written word as proof of what you said. As proof of what you said. So God took his word, which came from his mouth, that promise, and he wrote it down for everyone to see and hear. And I love that. I love his commitment for us having proof, us having truth. In Isaiah 55, 11, he says, So shall be my word that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing with which I sent it. God is committed to using his word. His word. He has set up a system of relationship with all people in the world through the Bible. He can speak with them. They can learn how to communicate with him. And, and we call this devotions. We call this having your devotions, spending time with God. It's spiritual. It's powerful. It's the daily food for our souls. It's the daily drink for our spirits. It's the living water that nourishes our inner life. And it works. It's not, it's not sacrificing your time to spend with Jesus every morning because it's some rule that your pastor said you should do? No, it's, it's coming up for air. It's life. It's the conduit for our relationship with God. Well, what does this all have to do with a belt of truth? The belt of truth is being in the Word every day. He says, every day I want you to put on that belt of truth. Why does God want us to read his word every day? Why does he want us to put on this belt every day? Why is it so important when, when dealing with the spiritual life and the spiritual attacks? It's so that truth can grow on the inside of us. That's what he wants. For us to know truth. The world wants to sell you a lie, but God desires for you to know truth. He desires for you to know it. In the early 1900s, George Riddle acquired the sensational London newspaper, The News of the World. So it's one of those like National Enquirer type newspapers, right? Meeting a British journalist, Frederick Greenwald, one day, Riddle men mentioned <coughs> that he owned a newspaper and told Greenwald its name. And he offered to send him a copy. The next time they met, Riddle asked Greenwald what he thought of the news. And he said, I looked at it, and then I put it in the wastebasket. And Greenwald said, then I thought, if I leave it there, my cook might read it, and so I burned it. Greenwald was passionate about knowing about the truth. He didn't want lies to be infecting his own mind or his own life, and even his cook. He was passionate about truth, just as God is. So look at Psalm 51. This is crazy. Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 51. I know you all know where it's at because it's stained with tears in your Bibles. 
just like it is in mine. Psalm 51 is that psalm that just breaks our hearts. And when we have broken God's heart, we read it, and it's talking about, Have mercy on my God, upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. We read this, I'm sure, most of us on a daily basis because we, we, we break his heart. But look at verse 6 and, and see how it applies to what we're talking about. He says, Behold, you desire, like Greenwald did, you desire truth. In the inward parts, in the hidden parts, you will make me to know wisdom. <clears throat> Purge me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. So, so what that's saying is there's, there's a work done in our lives when we're in truth. When truth is happening on the inside, it's active, it changes us, it purifies us. In verse 8, make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Having truth on the inside blesses us. Then check this out. Verse 9, hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart. O God, renew a steadfast spirit within me. Jesus is the opposite of fake. He is the opposite of lie. Following him keeps us from being fake too. He keeps us from being fake. He, and he's passionate about the truth being inside us. He doesn't care what you look like on the outside. He wants you to be truth on the inside. Because the inside will come out, right? The drunk husband snuck up the stairs quietly. He looked in the bathroom mirror and he, he bandaged up all the bumps and bruises he had received in the fight the night earlier. Then he proceeded to climb into bed, smiling at the thought that he'd pulled one over on his wife. But when the morning came, he opened his eyes, and there stood his wife. You were drunk last night, weren't you? No, honey, uh... Well, if you weren't drunk, who put all the band-aids on the bathroom mirror? See, the truth comes out. The truth totally comes out. And when we are sinning, we think we're so smart we, that we can cover up the truth, but it comes out and always leads to that embarrassment. But following Jesus, trusting him, being cleansed by him, in that forgiveness psalm, we see the cleansing that takes place. And in that cleansing, it, it causes the truth to be on the inside. And that will come out in righteousness. But it's a new truth. This inward life is truly good. It's a heart that is truly new. Inward parts that know truth, that know Jesus, and that know his word. Not in the brain. Not in the brain. This is reading your Bible in the morning or at night or all throughout the day, as we should, is not about your brain primarily. It's not about memorizing it's about your spirit. God has said there's a way he wants to feed your spirit. He could have done it from miracle grow from the sky pouring on you, but he didn't do it that way. He did it through the Bible. And he says, just spend time with me, but I don't understand anything that I'm reading. It doesn't matter because you're spending time with him and he will bring truth on the inside 
on the inside, and it will make its way out. This is so amazing. He creates a spirit, and that's what he said at the end of Psalm 51 there. He said, and create a steadfast spirit, or renew a steadfast spirit within me. God's work of bringing truth into our lives produces renewal and consistency. Why do you think he wants the belt on every day? Because every day is a new day, and we have to learn to be consistent. That's what this is about. You will be spiritually refreshed, and you won't fall as much. You won't struggle so much with letting your flesh have victory all the time. Truth does this. Truth does it spiritually. Again, we're not talking about truth that your brain gets. We're talking about a truth that's deeper and more powerful that dwells on the inside. And how does all this happen? How does the Bible do that in our spirits? It's through relationship. In John 16, 13, Jesus said, However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. David said, renew that steadfast spirit in me. Jesus says, that spirit is the spirit of truth. Daily truth. And he will guide you, he says, into all truth. Well, this is great because all those lies and all those fallacies and all those things that Satan is throwing at you every day, Jesus says, this is the key to not letting any of them trick you. Not a single one of them. Having the spirit of truth come into your life. And he says, he will guide you in all truth. Every single one of those lies the Holy Spirit can guide us out of. That's his name, is the spirit of truth. That's his very identity. That's his job to guide you in all truth. He's not a mean schoolmaster, but a loving guide. Truth is not just an idea or a hard, immovable law. It's a person that we talk to, that we come back to when we break his heart. It's a loving person that we have relationship with through the word of God and putting on the belt of truth is drawing close to the spirit of Jesus Christ. Letting his spirit create truth inside you. Letting him just fill you up with who he is and who is he? He is truth. So no lie can confuse you when you know who he is. When you're spending time with him, every morning we got to put on our belt. And if we want to stand against the attacks of the enemy, then you have to have this truth inside you. If you want Satan to be able to push you around and destroy you, then just stay away from the Bible every day. Stay away from it and he'll be able to push you around. But I understand it. I already know the Bible. I've already read it once or a hundred times. I don't care. It doesn't matter because truth being inside you is a daily thing. It's a daily thing. Why? Because Satan's attacks are daily and he's smarter than you. He's better than you at figuring out what you're going to fall at. We can't figure out how to live the Christian life. The Christian life is just this. Reading it, weeping over it, putting it inside you. That's all it's about. A.W. Tozer said, The unattended garden will soon be overrun with weeds. The heart that fails to cultivate truth and root out error will shortly be a theological wilderness. And that's what happens when we forget to spend time with the Lord in his word. 
that's what happens. We become overrun like the garden, like, like the secret garden was just overrun with all those vines and everything. That's what happens in our hearts. Daily, we need equipped with truth, specifically the truth of grace. Always talking about grace. Yes, we are always talking about grace. And turn with me to 1 Peter 1, verse 13, and you're going to see that Peter makes the best, the best link for us here. That the truth that God is always going to be cultivating in your life, the truth that God is always wanting to see just growing in your life is the truth of grace. I'm not just putting a random term out there, truth, all truth. No, there's a specific one that daily needs to be growing. And in 1 Peter 1.13, Peter says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and rest your hope fully on the grace that is brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So Peter takes the exact same illustration, the exact same metaphor of a belt, the one that girds up the loins. I mean, whatever that means. I'm sure it was important back then. <laughs> but girding up the loins, what the belt did, he said that truth, you've got to have it in your mind every day, and it will make you sober. And what it is is that you rest your hope fully on grace, fully at the grace that's brought to you through a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. Peter explains that what putting on this belt is really about, are you trusting in grace? Or are you trusting in your performance to the law? Huge, huge truth every day. And every day we have to come back to this. Every day we will have our flesh's tendency and temptation to say, I got it today. I got it today. I can make it today without complete total dependence upon Jesus. I can just, I can wake up, I can get through work, and I can get home. And that's a lie. It's a lie. It's a lie. Jesus says, Peter tells us here, are you trusting in grace today? What is grace? Grace is God's power flowing into your life through your humility and your faith in his power. Your humility and your faith. Are those works? No. They're not works. They're relational realities. It's, it's how we relate to him. It's, it's that spirit of dependency in our lives. And it's his power, not ours. It's his sufficiency, not ours. It's his grace. That's what grace is. Are we trusting in that daily? Peter says, it's your mind. It's your mind. It's protect, it will protect your thoughts if you trust in grace. It will protect your thoughts. He says, are you resting your hope fully on grace? Only the grace that comes through a deepening relationship with Jesus Christ. That's all that works. Or do we trust grace for most of our life, but this area over here, I got this. I got this. Or are we fully on grace? Here's how you can tell. Are you struggling with a sin? Are you struggling with a sin? If the answer is yes, which it is for most of us, there's areas in our life where we need to grow in trusting fully on grace. Because grace never fails. It never does. His resources are always available to us, and they're always fully given to whoever lives in grace. Trust in grace. 
So when we fail, there's an area of our life where we have made the choice, the decision, I have this without God's help, okay. This is mine. I'm good with this. That's what it is. We have decided to trust in the law. We've decided to trust in our abilities, not in grace. And he says that this grace comes to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As you read his word and he is revealed to you, grace is imparted into your life. God's power, God's resources flow into your life as Jesus Christ is revealed to your heart. Well, do you have to understand language? Do you have to be able to understand the words? No. This is not a brain thing. This is a heart thing. And God is able to reveal Jesus to every heart. Every heart. He makes it this way so it's fair. Because what if you don't know how to talk? What if you don't know language? What if you're mentally handicapped and you don't get it? What if, what if, what if? There's all these different ways. That's why God bypasses the brain. For us to know truth, for us to be able to walk truthfully and in the truth and in his grace, he bypasses all brain. And he says, Read your word for your heart, for your spirit and your soul. It's the food. You might not get it, and it doesn't matter. Oh, Leviticus is so difficult to understand. I don't care. Read it. It will develop a heart in you that trusts him and depends upon him. It's all about the grace and not the law. Getting to know Jesus is not about trying to please God. It's about understanding how much he has done for us, which will be revealed to you as you spend time in the word. But we begin to trust in ourselves and our performance to the rules. And every time we do that, we sacrifice truth in our inward parts. Every time we do, we're laying out truth and saying, I don't need truth. I got this. I can do it. We sacrifice it when truth says it's always humility and always faith. It's never me. It's never what I do. It's always trusting him. It's always believing in his goodness. And it really, it's really us who are hurting when we want to live by the law, the rules. We're really just hurting ourselves. A ship captain one day recorded in a ship's log, first mate drunk today. It was a true statement, but it was the first incident where the mate had been drunk while on duty. The mate pleaded with the captain to amend the statement, but the captain refused, saying, it's a true statement. The next time the first mate was in charge of the ship, he recorded in the log, Captain, sober today. When we leave grace and trusting in Jesus, to save us and change us and and living a godly life, we begin to live by a lie. When we think, oh, I, I, I don't need church. I don't need the Bible. I don't need his spirit. We begin to live a lie. We begin just fully embracing these lies. The enemy is trying to get you to try harder, to believe in yourself. That's why this is such an important truth for us to get every day. Every day we will study grace 
Every day I believe we need to be studying about the new covenant and what God has done every day. In our, in our church, our one-on-one discipleship is all about studying the new covenant of grace. A lot of my messages are filled with this topic of the new covenant of grace because every day, Peter said, you've got to be tre- resting your hope fully on this because the enemy is trying, you, trying every day to get you to try harder, to get you to believe in yourself, to get you to think, I don't need this fashionable belt. I know what's up. I want to dress how I want to dress, and it's not getting up and reading this every day. Whereas humility says, I need your truth inside me. I need it. I don't have it, and you tell me I don't have it, and I see the fruit in my life that I don't have it yet, so I need it. But pride says, I'm fine on my own. I have enough truth for today. I'm okay today. Peter reminds us in this verse to be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace. See, sobriety is, is humility. The enemy wants us to get us drunk on our own pride. It's addicting to think highly of ourselves. It's a high. It's a rush. And we feel like, when we feel like we did something good, when we did something to earn God's pleasure or earn God's approval, to feel like we're better than the goobers in our life that we see failing all the time. But Peter says it's just a deception. It just deceives us. It clouds our judgment, and it's simply not true. The truth is that only the two relational realities of humility and faith attain God's favor. Only those two things. And it clearly says so in the Bible. God says, I give grace to the humble. And he says in Romans 5.2, you have access to grace by faith. If you want my grace, if you want my favor, my love active in your life, it's only humility and faith. I don't care if you did something good. I don't. I want humility and faith. That's it. Only trusting his son is effective. Only trusting his works, his abilities, and his resources. If you want to focus on some works in your life or some good things, focus on the ones that were done on the cross 2,000 years ago. That's the way to go. But, um, so don't ever let go of truth. Truth. Don't ever let a day go by without putting on this belt of truth. Abide in the word. Remain in the word. It is truth. And when you go out without your belt on, what usually happens? Your pants fall down. You're embarrassed. And when your pants fall down, you trip and fall. Looking like a fool with your pants on. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you heard that song. It's funny. Anyway, um, when we don't put this belt on spiritually, it's the exact same way. We will fall. We will fall. I don't know how many times you, like me, I have had a huge argument or really messed up, and I look back and say, well, what did my devotions have to say about this this morning? And I didn't have devotions that morning. That's how it works. You want strength in your life? You want a consistent walk with the Lord? Put on your belt every day. Spend time in the truth. St. Augustine said, when regard for truth has been broken down or even slightly weakened, all things will remain doubtful. 
all things. Once upon a time, the devil was walking with one of his cohorts down the road. And they were following a man, and, and he picked up something shiny. And what did he find, the cohort asked the devil. Oh, a piece of truth, the devil said. Doesn't it bother you that he found a piece of truth, asked the cohort. No, the devil said. I'll just see that he makes a false religion out of it. You see, almost all false religions are based on working for God. Aren't they? The Mormons come to your door. The Jehovah's Witness come to the door. What are they trying to do? They're trying to work their way to heaven. All of them. Christianity is the only religion that's not about that. It's about what Jesus did. We respond to that in humility and faith, and then he creates hearts and lives inside us that desire to work, that desire to love our neighbors, that desire to, to care for this world. We're not going to start social programs here at this church. I have no intention on doing that. I do have intention of creating lives that care about our, our world and care about the people through grace. That's what we're going to do. And what the Lord does with that, I have no idea what's going to happen. Maybe we'll have homeless ministries. Maybe we'll have this, that, and the other. But we will not do those things before the lives for, uh, come first. We are going to commit to living in truth, to being people of the Word of God. One, not one small bit of truth, but we're going to daily live in the truth of grace. Not that one small bit of truth like the Ten Commandments please God. That's a small bit of truth mixed with a whole lot of lies, that you trying to keep those commandments pleases God. Your efforts do not measure up. But that's okay. God knew that. He sent his son to do all the Ten Commandments so that you would be free to just love him and see his fruit then happen in your life. To see, you'll, you'll see, the Ten Commandments are no problem when you're walking with Jesus. You're not going to be wanting to have an affair. You're not going to be wanting to steal but you'll have a whole lot more and it'll be real on the inside. It won't be fake. Because everyone can fake keeping the Ten Commandments, can't they? So Jesus said when he was on the, the Sermon on the Mountain, he's like, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery, but I say to you, don't even look at a woman. He wasn't putting a bigger trip on them. He was explaining to them that they were faking it. All of them were faking it. Every human being is faking it when it comes to the Ten Commandments. We all are. God wants truth in the inner man, in the inner parts of us. Obedience is what pleases God. Obeying his command to trust in Jesus Christ and to see his spirit work mighty deeds through your life. Obedience. Jesus said, this is the way it works. It used to be follow the Ten Commandments. Now, spend time in my word and see what God does. That's the command of God. And that's where we close. Let's all stand up. We're not going to end in a song today. We're going to, we're going to pray for just a minute. <clears throat> so Jesus, you have, uh, I hope, Lord, spoken deeply into our hearts of our great need for the word of God in our lives. Lord, I pray, 
I pray with such urgency, Lord, that the only word we get is not on Sunday mornings. But, Lord, it is personally the, the, the breath that we breathe and the bread that we eat, that it's everything to each one of us. Lord, we pray, Lord, that you, you would restore anyone in here who feels uh, condemned right now because they know they haven't been in your word. And Lord, I pray that you would reassure them that it is not by works of the law. It's, it's not a, a rule or a trip on them to read the Bible, but you just want relationship with them. You want them to have truth in their life. And so you're offering a relationship to them. And God, I pray we would pursue you with all our hearts and we would pursue you with all our efforts uh, through the humility and faith, God, letting you do the work in our hearts, but we want to know you, Jesus. We want your spirit of truth to be filling us up and to be changing us, God, making us new every day, creating truth in our inward parts, Lord Jesus. We need that. And if you're in here today and you have never once given your heart completely to Jesus and asked him to be your truth, I pray that right now you would turn to him and you call upon him and pray like me and say, Jesus, I believe you were my sacrifice on the cross. That it was for my sin and you have now removed all my sin and I believe it. I trust it and I humbly need it. And I call upon your name. And I ask you to save me. I ask you to bring me life. And I want to walk with you. I want your truth to be implanted in my soul on a daily basis from this day forward. I want to turn from my sin through the power that you give in your grace. It's in Jesus' name we all pray. Amen.